Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, I, I want to say that this morning I was sitting here before the service and there were uh, two families that told me that their kids, one of their kids says, every, uh, it was the Ruggieri's, uh, told me that, uh, Albert told me that their son comes to him, comes to his mother and says, mommy, pray for my boo-boo. You know, every time he gets like a boo-boo on his knee or something like that, he comes, says, pray for my boo-boo. And then, um, boo-boo, it's a weird word, but, um, and then, <laughs> Who was it? Who was the other one? Uh, Katie. Katie said that little Asher last night, she had a bad stomach ache. Little Asher came over and said, Mommy, I want to pray for your stomach ache. Prayed for her stomach ache and her stomach ache went away. Amen, right? And I don't, yeah, it is an amen. And I don't just point that out because it's a cool, they're cool stories. But it, it is, it, it's a revelation that actually what we're doing here at church is, is having an effect on our kids. Our VBC was focused on prayer and it is focused on prayer all through this. And, and we're like, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Just in, inculcating or whatever. We're just, we're just saturating our children with this, not just ideas and thoughts and whatever, but actually uh, action, you know, kids taking it to action and amen. That's exactly. So, you know, uh, in a couple of years, you guys are going to be shamed by your kids. You're going to be like, dang, my kids are better Christian than I am. You know, it's just awesome, right? It's awesome. So let's continue to pray for our kids. And thank you for Kim for putting together a great VBC and carrying that throughout the summer. Amen. So I'm excited about that. That warms a pastor's heart right there. And it also warms my heart. I, I'm extending my sermon about 40 minutes right now, right? Um, that when I'm here at 930 and there's like 10 people here and then I get up to, and you guys are all here. God bless you. It is August and I am really glad to see you here. I hope you've had some good vacations or that you will in the next few weeks. And uh, we're going to go into the fall running. It's going to be a good, good fall. Uh, we are in this short series, um, Why Church Matters, and we're talking about some very foundational uh, concepts. Uh, what we would say is the purpose, the mission, the vision for all the local churches of the world. However we, uh, you know, voice that in our vision and mission statements, we have our own here at 6-8, it is still all or should be all the same. Because Christ has outlined it for us. And last week we saw that we are here for God's glory and God's mission, right? God's glory and God's mission. And we should explore that further because it is so central to who we are and what we are. Because we don't just want a bigger church. You know, I just, I don't just want hundreds of people in my church and, you know, a big name for myself or something like that. That's not what we want. We're not here to, uh, you know, like to pump ourselves up or, or just to create a big organization. That's not what we're here for. We want, though, to be a growing church that is all about what Christ has called us to as his people, right? That's what we want. We do want a growing church. We want a growing church that is extending out and, and being about what Christ has called to us as his people. And today we're going to look at John chapter 17, a little lengthy, um, but it's a pre-crucifixion prayer of Jesus, a pre-crucifixion prayer of Jesus. Pre-crucifixion means it happened before the crucifixion, right? Uh, he said this, right? And then we're going to look at John chapter 20, one verse, 20, verse 21, which is a post-crucifixion command of Jesus. I got dry mouth this morning. Uh, so after he rose from the dead, he made this statement that we're going to see this command. 
And we're going to notice some very simple, very clear directives from Jesus for his church, right? Very, very simple, very clear directives. And as I read this lengthy passage, follow along prayerfully, either just listening uh, or reading from your Bible or off your phone or whatever it is. But here, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for all believers, right? He's, he's praying for us. And if you doubt that he's actually praying for you, it'll become clear towards the end of the passage. So it starts in John 17 like this. It says, he, meaning Jesus, looked towards heaven and prayed. By the way, there's a lot in here. We're not going to exhaust this. We're just looking through some major points of it. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give them eternal life to all those, give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, and I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So there's this focus on glory. I asked myself this morning, I actually asked Siri, what does glory mean, right? Glory and righteousness, two words that are hard to define. Like, glory, what does that mean, you know? Like, uh, you know, the son glorifies the father, the father glorifies the son for that purpose, right? And and to, to glorify something, to give something glory is to hold it up as preeminent, to hold it up and to share to say that this is the most important thing. This is the most wonderful thing. You know, there is, you know, I rob God of his glory when I don't follow his commands. When I, when I take his glory and I give it to things in my life that don't deserve it, right? That, that's glory, that we're, we're holding Christ up. We're holding God the Father up. We're holding the Holy Spirit up as the God of the universe, the only true God, as Jesus says, Right? And then Jesus speaks of his authority, reminding us of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You knew I would get to it, which we've looked at every sermon. We've, we've looked at this passage for the past few months. And, and we remember that Jesus' work is finished, right? It's, it's finished in the sense that, you know, he came, he died, he rose again, he ascended. But, but um, the work of the church continues with Christ embodied in it. It's his body on earth, Right? And the work continues. And, and that is the, the work of bringing eternal life to, to, to our, the understanding of that and the opportunity for that to people around the world. Eternal life is outlined as knowing the Father through knowing the Son. And that all sets the stage for what Jesus prays next as he prays for his disciples. It says, I have revealed to you those whom you have given me out of the world they were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them, right? Notice how important it is, the ideas of obedience and the words from God, right? Um, They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me, and I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world right now, right? But for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. 
Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. So just before this passage, Jesus prays or or states that they will have trouble in the world, right? That they'll suffer in the world, but that they'll have peace within that struggle, within that suffering. So when Christ speaks of safety, he's not necessarily talking about physical safety, uh, but really a soul safety, right? A, A person safety. The soul is most safe when it is right in the center of God's will. When it is when it is when it is centered on God's purpose, when it is living out what God has called it, it, it to do, right? So no matter what happens to the body, right? No matter what happens in life, right? If we press into Christ and His glory, working towards His mission, there is safety for our souls because our souls are right with God and His purposes for us. So he continues, verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them and they, for they are not of the world any more of, than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. In other words, don't take them out of all this craziness. Leave them right in there as salt, right? But you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world, right? For them, I sanctify myself that they may be truly sanctified. So notice Jesus places, and we talked about this last week, Jesus places a high value on scriptural truth, on the words of God, right? And, and he states that it transforms us, that it causes us to evolve into what we're truly created to be. And maybe evolve is the wrong word. Maybe it's just re- restoring what we truly were meant or created to be, right? Um, that God's, and that is that we are God's own children, right? Reflecting his heart, reflecting his nature to the world, which equals glorifying him, right? Glorifying God with our whole life. It sanctifies us. It, it makes us holy. It sets us apart. It makes us different. And Christ says, they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. We are different due to what Christ has done in our lives, right? And we also know uh, that the principles of God fly right in the face of, world, of worldly thought creating a tension for us at times in the world, right? Right? Uh, Not that, you know, we're against everybody and all that stuff. That's not what it says. But it says, but because of how we live and what we believe and what we state, that that brings with it attention at times. Reflecting Christ brings attention into life. And, And the sad thing is that most want to be liked more than they want to be right with God. Most want to be liked more than they want to be right with God. And in that insecurity of desiring to be liked, we sacrifice the principles of God uh, for the sake of acceptance, acceptance of others, rather than glorifying God and being about his mission, right? And, and we slip into that. And it's not, I'm not saying that to be overly critical, but it is something we need to be reminded of. Uh, you know, 
in following Christ, we can expect even hatred from certain individuals. It is a, just, a, just a fact. A, a disdain to Christ's life and his message within us, that which we, we carry around with us. And, and the sad fact is that if everybody's happy with you all the time, you may actually have a faith integrity issue. You may not actually be saying or living the ways that you need to be living. You know, Christ doesn't pray safety over our physical nature necessarily, right? Over our reputations, over our emotions, or anything of the sort. But he does pray safety from the evil one, right? That, hey, how are you? Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Um, (laughs) Satan cannot destroy us as, as God's people. He just can't. Right? He cannot destroy us. We are safely tucked under the wing of the Heavenly Father, and that is, a, that is a wonderful thing. And this is why Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has the authority to throw you into hell. That's the spooky part, right? And finally, Jesus says in that, this lengthy John 17 passage, as you sent me into the world... I have sent them into the world. For what? For the sake of God's glory and for the sake of God's mission. That's why we're, the, Alicia has started, has started this prayer time with Julie, you know, and they, they pray for what we're doing across the world it, with Horizons and with uh, Ananias' house in, in Syria and Lebanon and things like that. But it also means what we do here as a local body uh, for the sake of God's glory and sake of God's mission. So what is Jesus doing? He's prayerfully passing the baton, right? But like in all communication, it doesn't get through the first time, does it? Right? He's, he, he'll repeat this post-resurrection as well, and we'll see that more than once, so it is, it is very important. It must be very important for Jesus to repeat himself so often, right? And if we think for one second, that Jesus is only speaking to the disciples, the apostles, the next set of verses makes clear that he had us in mind, me and you in mind, when he prayed this prayer. Since at the very end of this passage, Jesus wraps up this prayer for all believers, both present when the time he's speaking and into the future. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will, future tense, believe in me through their message through what they say, what they do, how they live, right? That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you, have gave, you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I have loved them even as, as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. So what you see right there is at least one thing that you see right there is that unity in the body of Christ uh, is paramount according to Jesus. Unity in, 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 in how we believe and, and what we espouse to be truth is paramount for Jesus. Unity in this message. And we spoke about that last week and we spoke, we've spoken about it in past sermons. And we unite under Jesus 
and we reunite under God's glory and God's mission, right? And that alone is our message. Jesus, right? Jesus and what he's done and, and what he's doing in the world. And that alone is our purpose and our mission and our vision as a church, any local church, right? And he ends with this. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, that I myself may be in them. And this whole prayer is pre-crucifixion, before he goes to the cross, right? And what he's praying for us really is a missionary mentality, a missionary mentality, right? In his people, right? Present and future. Not just those guys that he's speaking to right at that moment or he's praying for, for right in the moment. That we regard ourselves with a, a sense of sentness. A sense of sentness, right? That we, we know this is this, this not only from this passage, but also from many others, including John chapter 20, verse 21, where Jesus says, Peace be with you, right? The same thing he did in John 17. And right before that, he said, you're going to have peace in in this whole thing. Uh, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, the Father sent him into the world, right? I am sending you. I am sending you. And this is post-resurrection, after he's risen. He's gone to the cross. He's risen from the grave. And now he's appearing before the disciples whom he's taught. He's equipped and he's prepared for the mission to which he's sending them to. Present when he was speaking, and future, meaning us, right? Charles Spurgeon once said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. I agree, right? Now, good old Chuck didn't mean that every Christian is called to get on a plane or a boat or something and fly over someplace remote to a second culture and a culture not their own and and be cross-cultural missionaries to some tribe or or people group or anything like that. Although some are, Kim and I did that for nine years in Indonesia. We did that. We were called there. But he did mean that every Christian should regard themselves as being sent, as being sent out on God's mission for God's glory, right? Right? God sent Jesus, God the Father sent Jesus, Jesus finished his redemptive work on the cross and in rising from the grave, all that was done. And now the church, he hands over the baton and the church becomes his missionary force force in all the local communities in which it finds itself planted. The local church, the hope of the world, and to this end, Christ prayed and taught for all believers over time, right? Right? Which means, number one, that we must, as his people, we must experience a shift to sentness. To understanding that if I proclaim Jesus as my Lord and Savior, then I am sent by my Lord and Savior for a purpose. What's the motivation of the Christian life? Right? What's the motivation? What is this all about? Remember, God is on a mission to make himself known, to reveal his glory and to disclose his love for all peoples all over the world. And that means people right around us, 
people at work, people at home, and your families that don't yet know him, things like that. This sentness is seen clearly in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which is also a post-resurrection command, which we like to say his last command should be our first concern, right? It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you to the very ends of the age. Sentness has to be acknowledged by the people of God, or there's really no reason for the Christian life. Um, really no reason. Without a, a sense of sentness, we miss the point. We miss what Jesus was trying to teach us. We shouldn't be surprised, though, at our occasional missional drift from this. We, we're, we're fickle. We, we know that. Um, and, when, you know, like when the church no longer regards itself as a sent people on a mission for God's glory in the world, but rather begins to exist for itself, right? And we see models of that across the board, right? A lot of churches get into this trap. Church exists no longer for this missional call, but for the comfort of its members, or the perpetuation of its traditions. But we want to join Jesus on his mission to the nations, to people, all peoples of the world, beginning right where we are with our neighbors in community and extending beyond to outside initiatives like Syria, like Lebanon, like Indonesia, where we've been involved. You've got to understand When you really do get into the scriptures and dig in there, you find out that God is a sender by nature. He is a a missionary God. He's moving out. He's moving forward. And there's no denying that, right? And local churches have become, in his estimation, local churches are his his missionary outposts to their local communities and even beyond, right? And when we drift away from that, it is a leader's job, hopefully, if the leader is thinking and praying and and being formed themselves, it is a leader's job to redirect our focus back to Christ's glory and and, and Christ's mission in the world. When we've birthed initiatives or programs or habits which don't drive towards his mission, then we got to shake up the snow globe a little bit, right? We got to reorder our priorities. And I honestly, I don't think 6-8 has really gotten to that point where we've forgotten all of this. But there's times when we've gone into lulls, right? We change the way that we do things sometimes for the sake of God's glory and for the sake of God's mission so that we can intentionally go out to people, right? We must think as a people sent on God's mission for the sake of Jesus in the world, for the sake of Christ's glory in the world. So we begin to ask ourselves questions like, what would, glory, what would glorify God and help us be most on mission in our community, right? You know, Bryn Mawr Days is coming up right here in, in Bryn Mawr. Um, 
on Saturday, September 7th, from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And uh, that's an opportunity to be about God's mission, just to be out and about with people. You could just go walk it and talk to people and meet people and, and you know, pray for them if you want to or whatever, or invite them to church or share the gospel with them in some way or whatever. Rachel's going to be setting up a prayer booth, and we're all going to be manning that and praying for people and, and uh, letting them know that we're here to serve them and love them and all that kind of stuff. And Steph's going to be working on some different volunteer things. We, we're trying to work out what we're going to do possibly for that uh, beyond the, the prayer booth. We'll also possibly be doing that in Ardmore in October. And, and we have all kinds of kingdom opportunities. And these are all chances to engage in the mission of God. We, we, we as a church have always had that from the very beginning. We have these locked in things that with these groups of of community groups and things like that, that we go out and we share our lives with them. We work alongside with them. We partner with them. And in that, we pray for them and we share the gospel with them. We can get into the trap of just not doing anything, just showing up and doing an activity and never really bringing Jesus into it. And that's where we really got to challenge ourselves. We don't want to be the obnoxious Bible thumper the jerk that's offending everybody all the time with, with Jesus, using him as a hammer over people's head. That's not what we're about. Rather, we are thoughtful, we are helpful, we are kind, but we do stand on truth. We inject Jesus into the moment when the Spirit leads us to do so. We follow Jesus. It is an interactive relationship with Jesus as we go out and do these things. Like I mentioned last week with Chuck and Christy, they were at this bar and this guy's talking to them and then he broke into this story about how he might lose his daughter in a, in a custody battle. So they're in the middle of a crowded bar and, they, and Christy leans over and, and past Chuck and says to the guy, can I pray for you right now? And I, as I joked last week, that was, you know, really the question was, can Chuck pray for you right now? And, and you know, I think she was, be, she says that that was sort of, it just popped out of her mouth. It was a surprise. I want to say that I think that is good training. And I think it's also the Holy Spirit's leading on her to do that. And she intentionally stepped out. Chuck and Christy intentionally stepped out, you know, in risky faith, bringing the kingdom of God into a painful moment in a much needed way. And this guy, they left the guy crying there, you know, and, and laughed and said, ah, ha, ha. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't do that. You know, but he, he's in tears after the prayer and the kingdom of God moved into that moment. Now, you know, does, does he like throw up his hands and say, I accept Jesus right now? No, but it is like it's one step further to understanding God's love for him. Which brings me to my second point. Um, that number two, we must experience a shift towards missional action. A shift towards missional action, right? Simply this means that we begin as God's people to, uh, to live as people that are sent by God wherever we find ourselves, in whatever situation we find ourselves, right? So you're sitting there and you think, I'm sent by God. I'm sent by God. You are in places for a purpose, for a reason. It's not just accident. You know, it's not just like chemicals, boom, 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 firing. The spirit is there. You are sent for a reason, right? whether that be at work or at home or at play with your neighbors, out at a kingdom opportunity with church, right? Or, or internally in our community groups, you know, somebody might be hurting there and need a little bit of Jesus or worship, you know, um, 
you know, it's some other church activity, whatever it is, sentness is the mark of true discipleship. Sentness is the mark of true discipleship of a person whose confidence is in Jesus and not in themselves, right? A mark of ministry, knowing that we are always called. We are always called wherever we are, like Jesus, to intentionally usher in the kingdom of God in every situation that we find ourselves. I, I get upset with myself sometimes, and I walk away from situations, and I'm like, ah, oh, it would have been a great time to pray for that person. Oh, I should have said that. I mean, we're always going to have those moments. We're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect, but we should be in process, right? Churches can sometimes adopt a consumer mentality, right? Where we think that church exists for us, what it gives us, what we get from it. Or that it adopts my own causes, my own affinities, my own passions, even though those might not be totally in line with Scripture, right? And we have to remember that even if our thinking is one degree off over time, that is a growing gap between us and Jesus. It's how important unity is and what Christ has called us to, right? And I remember, I don't say this with malice, but for our benefit, we're not here to keep customers happy. You're not my customers, right? I'm not here to keep you happy in that kind of a sense, right? Rather, we are here to equip people to take missional action in and beyond every situation in which we find ourselves. So we have to regard ourselves as Paul spoke in Ephesians 4 where he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. He couldn't be clearer. And leaders must additionally regard themselves in this role where Paul continues in verse 11. He says, so Christ himself gave uh, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that they may be that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the son of God and becoming mature, attending to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's a healthy body, right? If, you ever, if you've ever swum at a beach, swum, I used it, right? Sw- swam, swum, when do you use it, right? Uh, but if you've ever sw- <laughs> swam at a beach below the surface on a really like sort of uh, 
wave-filled beach where the, where the waves are big and strong, right? You, you get tossed back and forth in the current. It, you cannot control yourself, right? You, you can't control your own, own body. And that's what he means. That's the imagery he uses is to be caught up in all these various teachings and causes that the world throws at us and these arguments. I mean, it's crazy right now, isn't it? It's crazy. We're pulled back and forth all the time. It's so difficult. But remember, the gospel, the message of the cross, is supracultural. It's supracultural, right? It rises above the waves. That's why it can speak to every people group, no matter what culture they they hold uh, across the world. It rises above the waves. It's a higher calling as each part of the body does its work for God's glory and God's mission, which Jesus clearly states over and over and over again. And what we find is that it's not about us. It's not about our desires. It's not about our affinities. It's not about our pet causes. It's about Jesus and his mission and that of that alone. It's not leadership's job to uh, decide and describe what everyone is doing at every little moment. That's not their job. But to get everybody thinking and doing and taking missional action, right, in the world, which is why I share that about the kids praying. That is warm. That warms my heart. It says we're doing something right. That's why I get so jazzed when Chuck and Christy tell me that story. We're doing something right, right? Which leads us to our third and final point. We need to experience a shift away from the consumer, uh, or the customer service, right? The consumer mentality. And many, as I said, the church, many in the church think the church exists for the customer's needs. But again, it's not about us. It's about God's glory and God's mission. William Temple once said, church is the one, is one of the few institutions that exists for the benefit of those who are not yet a part of it. Right? Church is one of the few institutions that exists for the benefit of those who are not yet a part of it. There's, you know, I, just side note, I get really kind of like tense when somebody says, well, the church is a business. No, it's not. I'm not selling a product. I'm not here to make money. I'm not here to amass wealth. The, the church is not a business. The church is in the business of giving stuff away, right? Giving things away, giving Christ away to the world. That's what we're in the business of, if it's a business at all, Right? So church is the one of the few institutions, he says, that exists for the benefit of those who are not yet a part of it. And that's exactly right. It's exactly right. We exist for what Matthew 28, 18 through 20 calls us to, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Christ commands us. That never changes. Never. Didn't change from the very beginning when he said it, and it won't change until he comes back and even farther, I guess, right? This is a rescue mission from purposelessness to purpose. It's a rescue mission. People are lost. I know that's not a popular sentiment. People are lost. It doesn't make those that are found any better than them, but people are lost. I, I always love what Penn and Teller, when Penn said, I don't trust a Christian that won't share Christ with me. Why would you think you had the answer to all of life and never share? You must hate me not to share Jesus with me as a Christian. And he's right. An atheist is correct, right? It's a rescue mission. P- 
people find Jesus, they assimilate into the body of Christ, and they are transformed into his character, and they become about his glory and his mission as well, alongside of us. And again, we cannot expect perfection in this, or or, or we can't expect to get there tomorrow. This isn't something that we achieve, right? We don't get a plaque on the wall and say, you achieved God's glory and God's mission. You did it, and now you can rest. We never achieve it, right? It's something that we always strive for. We move towards. The goal isn't to get to perfection, but it's to stay on mission. That's the goal. We are walking and chewing gum at the same time, right? We're always being spiritually formed in Jesus. We work on our own spiritual formation, not just to feel better about myself, not to have everybody say, well, you're so spiritual, right? That's not the purpose, right? Or to make life easier for us, but in order that we become a useful tool in the hands of God for his mission to the world for the sake of his glory. Jesus prayed for us to this end. He commissioned us to this end, right? He sent us to this end. And as Jesus was sent into the world, he sends us into the world for the sake of God's glory and God's mission. It's very, very clear, which remains we, we have to have a shift towards sentness. We have to have, to have a shift towards missional action. And we have to have a shift away from customer service. And that means from people like myself and actually all of us that we preach our calling often. We preach it to each other. We preach it from the pulpit. We preach it every, anywhere. We, we never get something the first time. We have to be told things over and over again. We never get it the second time. We never get it the hundredth time, right? It must be constantly reinforced and become our communal DNA. We have to think about it and preach it all the time. Secondly, we provide opportunities, which I think 6-8 does really well. We, we provide a lot of opportunities at 6-8 through our community groups, through worship, through prayer, through kingdom opportunities, and just through relationships and, and challenging each other to, towards discipleship. But it is up to the individual to engage in that, right? Pushing through fear, because it is very fearful. I said to Vinny this morning, it is really hard to be a Christian if you really want to walk as a Christian. It's not, it's not easy. There's a lot of fear that comes at, at us when we're really following Christ's words. So we push through fear with, you know, um, trusting the Holy Spirit in that, holy, uh, that, that process as we live risky faith with one another and, and people in our community on mission with God for God's glory, right? I sent out an email to uh, all of leadership and a few other key people a week or so ago regarding our retreats this coming spring. Uh, Rob Schaefer, I believe, responding to the Holy Spirit's lead, wrote, wrote what I'm about to say to you, which I want to make our theme for the men's and women's retreats. He says, thinking about our next retreat, the word risk kept coming to mind, and it has in general recently. He's been thinking a lot about risk. What does it mean to take healthy risk? For a lot of us in our current life stages, I think risk comes in relationship. Can I let my friends, my wife, my girlfriend, my church, community, even God know who I really am? Even if it's not a secret sin, can I be myself around you, right? Can I respond to the thing that God has been tugging at me at in me for years and years and years? We all have those things. 
Can I share what Jesus is doing in my life when they ask me a question about how things are going? Rather than just saying fine, right? Can I risk setting aside my ingrained beliefs about whatever it is to learn and dive into what Jesus really has to say about them? Can I ri- now, what he's talking about is following Jesus' teaching and commands wholeheartedly. That's what he's talking about. Can I risk my heart with another and with Jesus? He's talking about spiritual formation, right? Rob, he's speaking of the courage to be risky in your faith, to live risky faith. How courageous we are we at being real in following Jesus since only he is truly freeing and therefore only he is truly attractive to others in this world, Christian and non-Christian alike. If people could meet the real Jesus instead of the trumped up version of Jesus, right? You're just convicted, You're drawn in by his love, his grace, his mercy, but also his deep challenge to you. We are person-centered on Christ. We're not problem-centered on issues. We are person-centered on Christ. Vinny shared a quote recently in a leadership meeting. I can't remember who said it. I'm not sure if he even knows who said it, but it, it goes something like this. To lead someone to Christ, we firstly have to journey far into his kingdom and gaze upon his face. Isn't that a great thought? That's spiritual formation leading to evangelism, right? I love that, right? Living, risky faith. That's our theme as we head into those retreats. Since we want to be authentic people living risky faith on Christ's mission, a people of spiritual power, right? Having been in his presence, you know, emanating him, like Moses glowing when he came off the mountain and in the presence of God. Right? You remember that. Lastly, we make structural changes where and when necessary towards this, right? Course correcting ourselves as we navigate the waters of life in order to steer ourselves towards Jesus and towards his message. Asking ourselves a few questions. Is everything we do internally focused and all about us? Or is everything we do driving towards God's glory and God's mission? Now, some things are internal. We do need to be spiritually formed. We do need to work on ourselves. You know, we do need to work on our marriages. We do need to have teaching about how do we raise our kids, stuff like that. That's not just internal, though. Those are to equip us to, to, to go on mission, right? Is everything we're doing driving towards God's glory and God's mission? Do we teach this from the pulpit? I think we are today, <laughs> Right? You know, uh, do we teach it in small groups? Do we pray this often? Julie and Alicia have started that prayer group about the nations. That's part of that, right? Is his last command really our first concern? Is that what I think about? When you cut us, do we bleed the mission of God, right? And if not, we readjust in order to do so because it's not about us. It is about God's glory and God's mission. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, as we come to your table this morning, we come knowing uh, what we've just heard is a challenge to our lives in all the craziness and the busyness and the tug and the pull of life, the voices, the arguments, 
the things that we could choose to involve ourselves in as opposed to the things that you're called to involve ourselves in. It is, it is hard. And we ask forgiveness when, when we stray, when we, when we go blind, when we don't hear, when we, when we wander in circles. And we ask that you would just course correct us, that you would convict us, that you would draw us by the hand into your mission for the sake of your name, for the sake of your glory. He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you.